Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Make It Kind. Make It Kind. M-I-P. With Massimella Matsuma. Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, a pleasure to have in studio with us with a brand new book just out. Just out. Tuesday. (laughs) How to Start a Revolution. Young People and the Future of American Politics. Lauren Duca joins us here on Make It Plain, the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. Congratulations on impeachment. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite thing. I've been saying get ready for impeachment for almost three years now, and it's finally here. Uh, Finally. Can you believe it? No, but I am happy about it. It it didn't seem like it was going to happen, did it? It did not. (laughs) But he kind of did it to himself, which... Is not a surprise because he's not the brightest bulb. Right, and there's land. there's something so tiring about the, the that that it's this thing is the thing when we have had children in cages and right. when we have had attacks on marginalized communities and this embrace of authoritarianism the whole time. It's like we had to get them on a technicality, but blessings for the technicality. Well, but but actually though, because there's even some debate about this. Do you think Democrats should still include all of that? in terms of drawing up articles. Some are saying, well, let's just focus on this technicality. But others say, no, let's lay out all the articles, including some of the ones you just mentioned. I think so. Yeah. I, this is about, because it will seem as if it hinges on these arcane things on the books. And we have to look at the, what do we care about as a country? Yeah. What are yeah. the what are the morals we're, we're holding up in this office? You know, And, of course, there's the Lindsey Graham hypocrisy side by side going around where Lindsey Graham is defending Trump now but if we recall him during the Clinton hearings he talked about how impeachment is about cleansing the office let's cleanse the office I agree with Lindsey Graham in the 90s (laughs) in in this me too era if Clinton had done that in this era he probably people probably would have been a lot harder on him but still relatively speaking you look at that incident yeah. and being impeached for something like that versus someone who is literally endangering our national security and violating right. <laughs> the Constitution. Right. And I even asked a couple of lawyers, too, Lauren, if you can't impeach Trump, 
Couldn't any president come along later who commits a crime and cite precedent? Well, you didn't impeach him. Yes. So you can't impeach me. Completely. <laughs> and, and, and I hate to even entertain the idea of the possibility of comparison, but if we, right. we even go line to line yeah. on the bill, Clinton Trump has him beat with alleged sexual assault. Yeah, that's, just, that's right. just right there you on that line, I know. Right. Like, deal with that alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't even get me started on that. A sea change, though, is happening now, yeah. so there's well, that's, that. Well, that's, that's, that's a good thing. Yes. Reading up about you and some of the things you've been talking about and doing, you believe that the mood, the attitude, especially of young people, began to change and shift upon his election? Yes. That was a wake-up call. You know, we were told that it was totally impossible, and so many people thought that it was, that it was absurd, right, just based on the racism with which he announced his campaign. I mean, he came to the political arena challenging our first black president's birthright. He announced his campaign calling Mexican rapists. The list goes on. The sexism, the embrace of fascism, just even... In the case he made for the presidency, um, and we were told there was no way that it would happen, that it was totally ridiculous, that it was a joke. And I think when it did happen for me, I said, oh, I have been listening to these political and media gatekeepers and assuming that our democracy just sort of would enact itself. And I, I failed to understand my active role within it. And that's what I'm seeing at broad scale. And I think for many Americans, regardless of age, but it's especially powerful for young people because we encourage increasingly will be in leadership positions and we are the future. What do you think young people are going to do in 2020? Are they going to be more engaged as an electorate? Yes. So my favorite statistic is the midterm turnout. And we saw a historic turnout in 2018 that I think hasn't gotten enough coverage because it was thus the midterms. That rarely, we can see sometimes below 10% turnout in some races in the midterm. So the fact that there was a historic showing for middle-of-the-road congressional races, we're almost certainly going to see a bigger shift in 2020. And young people t make up so much bigger of a share of the voting block. I think that that, too, is just the most basic level of the shift is going to be voting. And where beyond it, it's all of these other actions of raising our voices, of contacting elected officials and organizing and protesting, taking an action role in our democracy and that having an increasing social value and necessity to survival uh, is something that's happening at broad scale and will increase. We saw higher numbers of college-age students voting in 2018 in the midterms, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, historic so, turnout. Historic, so, so that's, that's evidence. And again, it was midterms, which normally people don't do. So just to be clear, though, define what you consider to be the younger generation. Is that the, the normal millennial age benchmarks or, or yeah. you look at something even so I looked mostly at millennials and Gen Z as they're right behind so less of Gen Z is in the voting age right now okay. but we can talk uh, about both of those demographics in terms of the historical factors that have shaped them and the current social factors that will change our behavior so what's cool is that I studied a lot of I work, interviewed a lot of really exciting young people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, David and Lauren Hogg from Parkland, and other, other amazing young people who started nonprofits and ran campaigns. But there's this shift that's happening for everyone, where even at the lowest level of engagement, you have, for example, a college kid who thought politics isn't for me, there's nothing I can do about it, I'm not interested in it, now I feel it is my duty to study local and national news and at least be informed enough to vote, right? So that's just the basic, most 
transactional level of citizenship. That shift is happening. And it's at a higher level, too. And it's not about Trump. It's in reaction to Trump. It's in reaction to this illusion of automatic democracy being shattered. But they're not the work that they're doing is not in resistance only to this administration. It's about needing change on the climate crisis. It's about right. gun reform. Right. It's about health care. It's about the student loan crisis. It's about widespread inequality and the conditions that make life in this country so hard for the majority of the country. And I think we're, we're seeing the inequality more clearly. We're seeing that the system is controlled by moneyed interests. And what we're tapping into is the things we cared about before Trump that we didn't feel any agency on. So, for example, maybe I have a lot of young people who thought, I'll run for office eventually. I'm not old enough yet. I'm not qualified yet. I don't have two kids and a dog and a picket fence. I'm not 45 yet. And, like, that is the shift of saying, no, now is the time. I'm not waiting. I'm qualified now based on my passions, and if I'm not, I'll get what I need. I'll figure out what the, re the receipts that I need to build to have this foundation because now is the time, and it's an emergency, and we're not waiting. AOC is kind of emblematic of what's been going on. Absolutely. I mean, she, she generates a lot of energy and passion and has really been phenomenal to watch. But it's interesting because some people look and say, well, we just can't believe you know, a young person speaking out like this. But when you look towards some of the great people in history we admire, they started out sometimes as, as young activists the revolution. Martin Luther yes. King was 25 when he led the Montgomery bus. <laughs> I mean, she is so exceptional in the way that she's changing things yeah. in terms of sharing policy breakdowns in her Instagram stories next to makeup tips while she's cooking in her Instant yeah, Pot, yeah, yeah. that she's trying to reach people where they're at and to be entertaining and to be engaging. That's what's missing because I think, yes, there is low youth voter turnout. That's real. But the idea of youth apathy, of young people being checked out and narcissistic and obsessed with our selfies, that's not accurate. We've been pushed out of this conversation so aggressively. And there's we see no display of the ways we sh are invited in. If you look at the way AOC is doing things, if major elected officials had cared about inviting young people in, they'd have been doing that stuff long before. And the reality is the way our system currently works, politicians are incentivized to maintain the circumstances that got them elected in the first place. So they don't do any work to expand the electorate. They don't do any work to reach out to right. the constituents right. they're representing. They just want the votes that got them into office, and then they want to stay into office, and they consolidate power, and they don't reach out to anyone, never mind young people, but I think that the lack of reaching out to young people is probably the most obvious thing, because the crap we like, right, is so transparent. It's the kind of stuff you see on Instagram, on the subway ads, it's the bold fonts and the potted plants, and, and you know, the things you see on sale next to the register at Urban Outfitters, if they wanted to market to us at just the most basic level of reaching out, we would be seeing that stuff, and it's missing. And so we're not apathetic, we haven't been invited, and now we're deciding we're not waiting for an invitation. Not been invited and pushed out. Who are the people that are doing that, though? The elected officials, the people who are in power, I think that that is what's wild. Is I've, I've heard, um, and Al Gore said this to me, uh, he spoke at the Teen Vogue Summit, and he, he's now at, continuing to advocate for solutions on the climate crisis. Sure, sure, sure. He is now working to get more people involved in this issue, and he turns to the crowd and he says, you need to vote. And I asked him, you know, why don't you think young people, why don't you think politicians reach out to young people? And he said, well, if young people voted, then they would. And that's absurd. That's an absurd 
Catch-22, it's a, a loop of disengagement. It is our elected officials' responsibility to be building the help of democracy, to be bringing people in, not responding to pressure only once it's exerted. We should be giving the tools to people to participate in their own governance and not boxing them out unless they bang down the doors. And that's really what's been happening for so long. And I hope now that we can, um, our elected officials should ha be held accountable to not just maintaining their strongholds on power, but expanding the health of our democracy. And I think you're right, too. Elected officials are incentivized to maintain their incumbency mm -hmm. by keeping everything small. See, when you expand, that's more work, that's more expense, that's more money you have to spend. And I've even had elected officials tell me, Lauren, even though, you know, let's say young people and people of color and women, middle class, working poor people, might be their constituency expanding, they don't have the ability to make financial contributions to campaigns. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of elected officials, the people who finance them to be able to run for office aren't even the very people that they serve. So there's that yes. chasm right there, too. Yes, and the way that people are boxed out of the conversation, any degree you get away from being a straight white man, you are increasingly chastised and ridiculed. And, and if we turn to AOC, look at, they're saying her clothes are too expensive. They're looking for all of these ridiculous ad hominem attacks on her that are based on these kind of bizarre secret rules about how we participate and what kinds of people participate. And I've faced a lot of it, too, as a young woman writing about politics. When I first entered into the conversation, I wrote a piece for Teen Vogue called Donald Trump is Gaslighting America that went viral. And then about two weeks later, I was on Tucker Carlson's show, and he dismissed my right to a role in the political conversation saying, stick to the thigh-high boots. And he meant, stick to your fashion writing, stick to your little girly stuff. And I actually, you know, it was shocking in the moment, but I've I'm actually quite grateful for it now because it's nice to have a very clear bullseye and a really easy way to look at this nonsense because why would the stuff that young women like be disqualifying? What, what makes golf so special, you know? Like, who made this up? Yeah. And like, well, <laughs> it's totally absurd, right? And, and there's all this respectability and civility stuff too. And I think we have to probe, like, what is this based on and what do we actually care about in this moment of emergency, right? I don't know that I've heard that asked so sincerely. Ah! You made this up. <laughs> and I don't, you're right, I don't have an answer. About golf specifically, yeah, 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 I want yeah, to yeah, know. Yeah. Who decided that this was the thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's something else. So, yeah, there was the Tucker Carlson thing and all of that and, and the insult. But you said you were, now you're grateful that that happened. It really clarified my thinking and it made it clear because I think a lot of times the, it's crazy making. They pretend it's not about the sexism. You know, they pretend it's not about whatever form of bigotry. They pretend it's about something else and that it's this specific thing about you. And that's, it's, it made it so plain. Like he, it was just such an absurd act of misogynistic mm -hmm. bullying that it really helped me to get clear on seeing all the other stealthy ways that that infects the conversation. And just the obviousness of the fact that somebody like Wolf Blitzer seems as if they are qualified and authoritative based on their aesthetics. You know, it's just, it's just completely ridiculous. And the ways that I'm made to seem silly and ridiculous and the kind of scrutiny that I'm 
held to is so often based on being a young woman and that the anger at a young woman entering the conversation. And to me, it seems obvious. And that Tucker thing was just in flashing lights, and it's helped me to see it all a lot well, easier. Since, since you brought that up, and I was actually going to ask you about it later, but I'll ask it now. Yeah. It's also sort of a double-edged sword in the sense that younger people communicate primarily on social media. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, social media has been so weaponized yeah. against young people, not to mention young people like you trying to make a difference, trying to make some noise. I mean, you've, you've taken your hits there as well and undergone your scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword, and the very medium that you can most communicate with young people on is also a medium used to disparage young up-and-coming people. Totally. So I have a complicated answer to it. And I guess what I would want to say first is that another part of my identity is my whiteness. And I have privilege associated with my whiteness. And I'm also, I exist as a symbol in a lot of ways. And I'm responsible for the optics of it. And I, I want to use my privilege to make change. And I want to leverage my privilege. And I'm sure that there um, there are times I've messed up and I want to continue to evolve. And I'm frustrated that there's not more space for evolution. I'm frustrated that the conversation so often goes to criticism and to negativity for people who are basically trying to do good, who are not materially damaging society in the way of the men doing crimes in the White House, you know, like, it just feels like, hey, everyone, if you feel the urge to do a takedown piece, let me tell you about Mitch McConnell. Like, it's just sort of very frustrating. So part of of what I'm advocating for, I've seen a lot of the ugliness on social media in a lot of different ways, and, Mm -hmm. you know, just basic abject harassment, right, like death and rape threats, but then also the, the kind of toxic purity checking of the left, which is it's all on a spectrum. And I think that it's frustrating and it's right now the conversation is infrequently productive, but it can be a democratizing force. And so part of what I'm advocating for is for people to operate with agency in the political conversation. And that means in terms of the action they take, raising their voice, but actually literally how they conduct themselves online. Sure. And I think it starts with arming yourself with information, empowering yourself with information, getting your facts in order so that you're not operating from a place of fear. You have that foundation. You say, okay, I know my stuff. I read two to three articles on this. And if somebody was able to change my opinion on it or I like someone else's thinking on it, I understand why. I can show you my work. And then I think beyond that, even if you hate what someone's doing, you think they are annoying as hell, if they are not harming, doing harm to you or doing harm in a material way, there's your better use of your energy is to to, to use it to build up the people you like, to use it to support the people whose work is good. Because we all know how hard and scary it is to express ourselves. And I think that there is, we're, we're holding ourselves back with all this negativity. There's so much energy and it can be used better if we're building each other up and we're moving the conversation forward. And I mean, look, what do I believe in? At the most basic level, I think we need public power and a quality of public voice. That's what I'm fighting for. Am I gonna mess up and fighting for it? 
definitely. And I'm going to mess up again, and I've messed up in the past. But we all are going. There's no such thing as perfect activism. If we look at all of our heroes, you know, you reflect on how young some of them were. All of them have skeletons yeah, in yeah. their closet. And, and we've all made mistakes. And the reality is we're not in a perfect world. We're fighting for the better world from the place of a white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. And we're all going to have to figure out how to use that landscape to elevate each other. Um, and I'm hoping that people can speak from their heart and what they believe in and stop glomming on to groupthink and what seems safe and what seems fun. And people are just so easily incentivized to pile on yeah. and to hate or just to not think for themselves. And th if you can step back, get your information, say, what do I really believe in this? Whether it's about a presidential candidate or some idiot online, we could all be doing a little better and be critical thinkers and participate positively. And what you just described, too, I, you would also, I guess, say, having a more healthy dialogue and promoting positive things as opposed to piling on what is perceived to be negative that goes viral, that that too is a way in which to start and sustain a revolution. Yes. Because you can't, I mean, I, I agree, you can't really do anything revolutionary if you're just attacking other people and being negative. Yes, and we need all different methods. We're trying to knock this thing down. We have to be knocking it down in all different ways. And some people will be going about it in a different way than you. Let them get in there. We need a whole ecosystem right, of methods. Right. And uh, one thing I have in, in, in my book is I, I had two incredible activists. And one is Sarah McBride, the first trans person to address a national major party. So sh she's doing in the room kind of change. She's working with institutions and, and the establishment. And she is making moves that way. She's currently running for office. She was sitting across from an activist, Emma Sulkowitz, who had her, her nude body covered in asterisks at a museum to protest the lack of acknowledgement for allegations of sexual abuse by major artists. And they both had such respect for each other. And Sarah, Sarah said, I'm in the room. I want people outside of the room. And I think we need to expand our thinking and, and have more faith in positive intentions among the people who believe in a progressive future because we are under attack from white nationalist terrorist organization masquerading as the Republican Party, yeah. and that's where negative energy should be directed. <laughs> um, and women, obviously, in this generation ought to have and are going to have a bigger role, mm -hmm. aren't they? Yes. I, I mean, I think that the ways in which women are boxed out and made to seem ridiculous is, is so, so exhausting. And um, I... I showed up to this with this book to a podcast the other day, and the, this man wanted to run through my typos. You know, like, I poured my heart and soul into years of research, and I am trying to create a thing that paves the way for citizenship for young people. And you're going to focus on my mistakes, my small mistakes that don't in any way undermine the foundation of my work. And, you know, then he masquerades as if that's about holding everything to the highest standard. But you know he wouldn't do it to a man. And, 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 and the fact that I'm a young woman clearly terrifies this person who peaked in middle school, right? Like, I can see that, but it's just so tiring. And the harassment online that women receive is so disturbing. And I have really had to figure out what I care about and figure out why I am willing to endure this crap. Because when, when I first came off Tucker, I was bombarded with death and rape threats. And it knocked me out. And when I came back from that physically because my, my immune system was like, no, thank you. <laughs> like, it was really painful. Wow. And when I came back from it, I said, okay, the point of this 
is to get me to shut up. And so by continuing to raise my voice, even if people don't agree with what I'm saying, it is righteous for me to continue to speak my mind and to say what I believe and to stand in my truth publicly and to refuse to cower in shame because of this screaming howl. And it is an act of strength, and it does take a toll on my mental health, and it causes me... It was hard for me to admit that for a while because I wanted to be like an irreverent badass and I wanted to be like, I'm fine, you can't touch me. But it does hurt me. And it's helped me to understand it as a righteous act. And I think the more, it's very unfortunate that the calculus that anyone who is not a straight white man has to do to speak online includes stomaching harassment. But I guess what I would say is if you do have the strength and you can compartmentalize that hatred as trying to get you to shut up and you can refuse to shut up and lean on the love that you have in your life and keep using your voice, it is capable of making change and it is worth the effort and the energy as exhausting as it can be. If young people are listening to you right now, and hopefully they are, especially young women, I would take that as as possibly a step one. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you endured and people in your position endure on a macro level. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of young people endure on a micro level every day in the workplace or school or whatever they're dealing with. So give us some steps. Walk us through. I'm a young person, and actually I am. Believe it or not. <laughs> and I joke about that. Um, but, um, honorary millennial. Right. I decided. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're very kind. Most people just be saying, no, you're not Marcy. <laughs> you're old and played out. But, but, um, I, so Lauren and I are friends now, y'all, because she acknowledged that and, and gave me the honorary millennial status. Um, walk us through. I'm just getting started. I want to do something. Mm-hmm. I want to be involved in something. I want to yep. make a difference. Of course, I'm going to vote, but I want to do even more in that, more than that. So get us started. What, what should we do? Step one is get your information. Step one right. is do your research and figure out what you care about. So also I would say there are so many moving parts, and it is so chaotic. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be an expert, and it's going to take time to develop awareness of all the nuances and complexities. Maybe look at the local level. What's happening in your community that you want to change and that could be different and that could make people's lives better? You can affect the most change in your microcosm, on your block in your church, in your town hall, in your school board. That's where you're going to make the most motion happen. So find the issue you care about. Do your research and do it well. Get Read multiple sources. Have your data in order. Have your information. From there, decide what do you feel needs to be different. How can you make a change? And then you take action. And what the action looks like can be so many things. So if you need three concrete options, you can contact your local elected officials. You can organize and protest. You, know, you can make donations if you have the means to do that. These are all options for raising your voice. The key thing is, though, is taking the action as well. So I think that part of what is important to clarify is, yes, raise your voice. Raising your voice online is a righteous act. Using conversation, actually, with loved ones, I mean, especially, this hits close to home. My parents voted for Trump, and I had to do a lot of work to get to a place where I could even hang out with them, where we could even have a conversation. Mm. I now, I have made some progress. We don't agree on everything, but we at least can have political debate that begins from a place of truth, I would say also that's, that's a kind of work 
that you can do if you have a, a loved one or former loved one who you think you can reach. So the math on that has to be if somebody is, it's an energy expenditure to argue for your own humanity, to argue for humanity in general. But if you think you can reach someone, then do that as work and do it with honesty and compassion. The crux of it is that we need to be doing democratic rituals all the time. It's not just in light of one emergency. It's like, what's your brushing your teeth version of citizenship? What's the thing or couple of activities that goes well with your energy, that goes well with the stuff you care about? And how can you fit it into your schedule just like you'd fit in going to the gym? Like, I think we, we think of this as something that occurs in case of emergency and that the people who know better and are qualified or that our heroes are going to show up and do. No one is coming to save us. At an individual level, we all need to be taking an active role, and that will look different for everyone. So basically, it's vote. No matter what, vote, register, vote, get your friends to be registered and vote, rinse, repeat, that has to be happening. And then beyond that, what activities can you be taking in what daily way, ideally on a, on a daily or weekly basis, how are you working to uphold our democracy? Because democracy isn't a thing we have, it's a thing we have to do. Lauren Duca, How to Start a Revolution. Tell us how the bug bit you. <laughs> made you the way you are, made you want to become an actor. Yeah, well, I had a very shocking November 9th, 2016. Um, I, it's, it's crazy because I thought I really cared before about social justice, especially about LGBTQ rights. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because I have, I have came out this year, actually, and uh, my dad was like, oh, I always knew you were gay because you had... You came out this year. Yes, I did. I was married. It's a whole thing. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am myself, and it feels amazing. <laughs> um, but my dad said he knew because I had a giant rainbow flag in my room during the fight to legalize gay marriage, and he's like, Lauren, like, I thought you had that because you were secretly gay. And I was like, no, I was repressed. <laughs> but... <Wow. laughs> But I cared about that stuff before and yet didn't make the connection of traditional political action. You know, I, I didn't understand. Politics still felt abstract. Democracy still felt abstract. It felt like this thing uh, that my favorite way to describe is a magical self-cleaning litter box. Like, democracy's just going to happen. And I don't even, there's so many people I spoke to who had this awakening, and they, they're at a loss for words for how they understood things before, and so am I. And the reason is because political alienation is a void. It's a lack of knowing and it's it's like it's like trying to describe why peekaboo was fun once you know about object permanence, right? Like it's just I don't it's a it's a total shift in reality. And so I understood agency. I understood the need for me to play a role and for me to be doing something and we're so frustrated, we're so cut off because our voices at the individual level don't have material impact because of the moneyed interests and the lobbyists, the revolving door in Washington where money has more power than people's votes, our individual voices are dauntingly insignificant. We have to still use them and add them together and build collective power and with that collective power reform the system and take back the money and power of this nation for the American people. And that is a huge task and it's daunting and it's going to be exhausting and we can't write it off as impossible. And so when I had that click moment, um, and again, it was because 
of the impossibility of this horrible thing. I mean, I just thought he was going to lose. I remember seeing there was that, there was this cake of his face, and it was so atrocious. Like, I remember being like, this joke, that's going to be so funny. <laughs> like, I had absolute, I was smug. It, it smacked me across the face, and I completely changed everything about my life. And there are so many other young people who have, and I think it's only going to continue. And we, we have to do things differently, and we have to be, being a good person means participating in that duty to the collective. It means working together to defend our freedoms. And I don't think that there's any other way to exist that is ethically acceptable. We owe this to each other. You mentioned your parents a couple times, so I have to ask. First of all, yeah. coming out, your dad said he kind of knew, but your parents, were they supportive of it? <laughs> they were. They were. So you my, got married? I, I was married to a man, yes. Oh, you and were? And I got divorced. Wow. And he, it was very amicable. I okay. think because he sees how happy I am now. He's a really sweet man. Oh, wow. And okay. Um, okay. <laughs> he, uh, I, I, I have a little acknowledgement for him in the back of the book. He's, he's always going to be a friend. Um, yeah, it was, it was part of all this, honestly, because getting all that harassment and feeling the pressure of using my voice and my public platform, I really had to dig deep inside and writing a book. I had to say, who am I? What what do I care about? And I had to clear away all this all of this dirt and all of these old patterns and all of these old stories and I've really found a solid sense of self that was became critical because when, when you're getting all of these attackers, it gets in unless you know exactly who you are. And you're you make agreements with that hatred unless you, you have a strong foundation to resist it from. And that still takes work. I mean, I still will I have to work to actively train myself against just accepting that input. And, and now the way I deal with it is uh, that I treat criticism as information okay. that I can choose to accept or reject. And I, I don't go, I don't accept criticism from anybody who I wouldn't go to for advice as kind of my guiding light because I do want to evolve and change and get better. I'm 28. I hope for sure by the time I'm 48, I'm at 50 more levels up than this completely. So figuring out how to take how to take it in in a way that I can get better but not be damaged has been a, a real process and it, and I'm so glad that I ended up gay from it. That's <laughs> <laughs> an interesting way to put it. But so, but so your parents, they are supportive. They are supportive and they're proud of me and my work. There was a time when we were estranged and... Is that because they voted for Trump? Yes. I didn't know how to justify, I didn't know how to think of them as good people anymore. Yeah. You know, they weren't never Trump supporters in the sense that, that I, I didn't even know that they were going to vote for him until they did. They are Republicans who voted for the Republican. I think now that they, we have had a lot of conversations about how voting selfishly based on a tax break is still complicit in the harm that is done. Um, and I think they're beginning to understand the size of their footprint and their role. I mean, you know, because, for example, they had, I didn't think that they were going to show me any hatred, right? So many people have so much fear coming out. I did not think, I knew that my parents were going to say, we love you no matter what, right? And my parents would never be mean to a person of color. They might be, they would be friendly and nice and polite. They would never do any of the hateful shit. That, that is typically associated with this evil, and yet they think that vote is okay. They think that that mm. vote is acceptable. And I think that what the difference that I've at least made with them is 
explaining that being a good person is not just about being polite. It's not just about making people comfortable and being sweet when you're around one another. You have a duty to the collective and you have a duty to create a better world and it extends beyond just being sweet to people one-on-one and just bringing a big ziti to the church dinner. And and I think that (laughs) um, I, I, that was a big click moment for me because I, I have been frustrated with them for a long time and, and having to explain it to them has helped me clarify my thinking on it because so many people think this is not my fault. There's racism in this country, there's sexism in this country, but I'm nice and I'm kind. Well, if you're not using your position of privilege to unwind it by having the conversations, by fighting for the policy that makes a difference, by screaming and yelling when something ugly is happening that doesn't affect you, well, then you're participating in it and silence is not neutral, and voting for Republicans sure as hell isn't. Yeah, Dr. Dr. King said we won't ever have to answer for the violence and vitriol of the children of darkness. We'll have to answer for the silence of the children of light. You know, and like you said, people mm-hmm. think they're nice and polite. Technically, I would say a child of light, but then you're silent when it matters. So let me ask you this: with all this going on now. The man is just breaking law and just going completely berserk. Not to be impeached. <laughs> yeah. You know. Completely berserk is the only, <laughs> like, it just, it's an understatement. Right. Like, I mean, he's bragging You're about being polite. <laughs> you, know, and we, we, you know, we were talking on the live show, like, even this thing where he says, he's bragging about what he did to Biden. But I'm like, listen, when you're dealing with pathological people, if they're ready to cop to something that bad, mm-hmm. they probably did something worse. <laughs> but how do your parents feel about that? I mean, do they now kind of see... Yes. Yo, this is insane. Yes, they see it as berserk. <laughs> and I think also the big shift we made is that we are having difficult conversations. So a big part of my alienation and a big part of how I had that idea of politics as abstract is I was taught it was rude to disagree about politics. In fact, rude to talk about politics at all in right. some ways. That sort of suburban, just let's just be yeah. sweet, let's keep it nice. <laughs> right, right, and right, right, right. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's nonsense because what, what, is, what is democracy even? Yeah. Democracy is building consensus from debate. Build it, we have to have con- uncomfortable conversations to even have a democracy that exists. We're not going to all, all agree on the right way to get this done. We have to talk. How are we going to live together? And everyone is going to be coming at it from different angles. So we, how can we build compromises that are best for the majority? We have to have spicy conversations, and we cannot be being polite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that's... that's, that's Respectful, right. compassionate, honest, not polite. <laughs> no, that's true. So you consider yourself a revolutionary? Hell yeah. Yeah, I'll go with that. I guess my, my book's got the title. I'm going to take it. I want to be. I aspire to be. And I hope that in a, and I'm, I am... I, I'm very optimistic about the change that is coming, and I think there are so many powerful leaders that are that are inspiring me with their passion and their activism. And sure. uh, we talked about Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I mean, Greta Thunberg is oh completely she, she and totally amazing. I feel like she's carrying the whole world on her yeah. back. That girl, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, she is. She's something else. Um, and what I want to do is, I think my role is empowering people with information. So I think that a big problem in political journalism is that everything is so insider baseball, and it's all written for. For people who know everything and know all the terms and know all the intricacies and parliamentary procedures, the average... 
The average person doesn't have time for that. The average person is, is working multiple jobs in a gig economy and paying off student loans. You know, it's nonsense. So it's funny because some people wanted to criticize, have criticized my work based on it being sort of obvious. I didn't invent citizenship. I didn't invent gaslighting. I want to give people the tools to really mess with it. And I want to entertain them so that they're hooked and that they have it and that they feel like they can use that information to have their own sense of agency. And I, I, I believe that the role of the journalist, especially in this moment, is not just not only an obligation to report the truth, but an obligation to report the truth and empower people with information. And what I would add on top of that is that it's our ethical duty to make the significant interesting. And that means being entertaining and funny and accessible and in including the stuff that people like and the currency of pop culture and jokes sometimes. And I think that being who I am and, and just being a young woman who is expressing herself and talking about dating and talking about smoking pot and being kind of funny and goofy <laughs> and also being having strong political opinions and articulating them well is setting a wild example. I mean, I have, I have had young women come up to me and I can see that their minds are are blown just by the fact that I am expressing strong political opinions with confidence and I am this person who is socialized in the same way that they're socialized mm -hmm. and dresses mm -hmm. the way they dress and touches my hair and says like an um sometimes and I think that, that they, <laughs> those all of those things don't disqualify it and I've decided that they and in fact it seems make me more powerful because I can tell that people are scared of me and I don't have plans of stopping. <laughs> <laughs> well I mean, that's part of being a revolutionary but also part of that is I'm sure you know is that being a revolutionary ultimately does require sacrifice yes. and, and great risk. And you've contemplated that, you made that decision because at, at certain points, you know, you can become a pariah. Mm -hmm. You can become closed off and locked out from things yeah. because you, and especially as a woman, because you, you talk too much or you're too strong or you're saying combative things. You are supposed to be polite and quiet and whatnot. So. Have you decided within yourself that you're ready and willing to take those risks? Yes, and uh, even last week there was a profile of me in BuzzFeed that I saw that. that was um, I felt cruel, malicious, and unproductive. I taught a class at NYU yeah. this summer. It was my right. first time teaching. I have a I don't even have a graduate degree, and I guess it makes sense that someone who's primary function is challenging authority made for a lousy authority figure. I didn't, you know, I, mean, I got crap money to teach three hours twice a week, and it did, I, did, I could have done a better job. To, the, the profile took my work, dismissed it, took my sexuality, dismissed it, tried to make it seem as if I was ridiculous and foolish and blew up my inadequacies as a teacher, which was a side hustle for me, and centralized that that hurt. That felt senselessly malicious to me in a way that was really, really hard to process. And I didn't believe that piece, and also to see the gleeful pile on that it resulted in. I eventually had a lot of support and a lot of defenders and people who could see it clearly. And I, I sought guidance on that from my pastor. I also have had a, a God click since I started writing this book. And I, I've been going to a queer church that is powerful for me because I've had an interesting relationship with my parents, Roman Catholicism and what have you. But so I go to a church now that has two lesbian pastors. Okay. Um, I identify as spiritual, but I yeah. what this has brought me a lot of peace. And I talked about this piece with my pastor. And she said, you know, a mean thing is happening to you. Mm. 
and it got, brought me such relief because I, I couldn't I could not wrap my head around it and I I didn't believe that I was mean or cruel in the way I was portrayed in the piece but I became worried that I was making a mess I became worried that I was ridiculous and that I am doing this work wrong and harming the movement I aim to serve but I think that the way I have come through it is that I know what I what I believe I know who I am and I know my heart is good and I know that what I try to do with this book and what I will continue to try and do with my platform is empower people with information with the goal of creating public power and I will take hits and they won't always look like some creepy MAGA hat person photoshopping me into a gas chamber in which case it's quite easy to see that I'm the one in the right. Sometimes it's a hater who has a legitimacy of a news platform and, and that hurts too and these things are dangerous and difficult and no one said it was going to be easy and that was harder than anything I had experienced in a while but I think it made me stronger and it made the people who do support me really show up in full color and surround me with love and I think it bolstered me because it really felt as if everything I had been building was crumbling for a minute and I had to say all I can do is continue to do my best and I believe I did my best with this work and I, I know that I I have faith that I will continue on this path and I can't be shaken by petty nonsense. Well, I'm, I'm glad you reacted in that way and, and became centered. I confess that, you know, whenever I prepare to interview somebody, I try to get up to speed on everything that's going on. Yeah. So I, I clicked on that piece, right? I majored in print journalism in college. Mm -hmm. And I was trained by very good people. I ended up spending most of my career as a broadcaster, though, more than writing. And the stuff that passes for journalism today, mm -hmm. I read that, and I'm, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. I'm saying, I'm trying to figure out what is the story that is here. So, some students in your class may not have liked you as their professor, mm -hmm. which is not unusual. No. I don't see how that's a story. And I think if you go to most universities, and we started doing stories on student evaluations, a whole lot of people would be in trouble, so to speak. And would that be headlinish? I, I just really didn't get Absolutely. what that was. It, it was, was very it was peculiar to me. Very frustrating because the framing of the piece tried to make it seem as if I am in some way capitalizing on this movement, which, you know what? Yeah, I, I would like to be paid for my work, sure. But I'm not... I'm not cashing in. I am holding myself to a journalistic standard and I'm maintaining my platform and doing good, good work with a material impact. And what's crazy is if you want to say that the work that I'm doing is undermining cashing in in the movement, isn't this article doing that? Because it's tearing me down for attention. Well, you, 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 you're, you're popular and viral, so let's jump on somebody who's popular and viral because that gets us clicks. I mean, that's just like I'm saying, mm -hmm. that's the way the game works nowadays. And then maybe you really are a threat to somebody. Because mm -hmm. if you don't matter, people don't write about you. Yeah. You know, if, if you're not doing it, you got a book out, How to Start a Revolution. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm very, very close friends with, you know, some of the leaders of the Women's March. Mm -hmm. And a lot of their texts they've been, and I just had a hard time with them. And I said, y'all understand. And I went, you know, went through their histories and, you know, kind of watching where they came from, from not moneyed, or famous backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So y'all don't understand. Y'all had the nerve 
to have a march the next day on the same grounds as his inauguration that was 10 times the size of his inauguration. You got to pay for that. People are going to take you out mm. <laughs> because of that. Mm -hmm. And you're young women. You're a young woman with a book, How to Start a Revolution. You're not supposed to write that. <laughs> Who the hell do you think you are? You, what, you, you're not even 30 years old, and you're talking about start a revolution? You're not supposed to be doing it. Who is Greta? It's a child. You can't show up and <laughs> chastise adults that way. So people are going to look for things. Oh, some folks at NYU didn't like her class. You know, let's impeach her. <laughs> okay, what is that? So I, I think part of being a revolutionary, and I think one thing you have to even prepare your peers for, is that that's what... Yeah. goes with the territory. Mm -hmm. You are not supposed to be making all the... And when I say this to, to the women, they just got real quiet. I said, you all are going through a lot, but I want you to understand what you did. You're supposed to be out here hustling, making a little bit of money, maybe even waitressing somewhere, making no money, just whatever. Raising a child by yourself, one of them is. You are not supposed to be besting and overshadowing this white male in office who's trying to bring us back mm -hmm. to the 50s when, you know, I used to watch Leave it to Beaver, the rerun, <laughs> I thought that's how life was supposed to be. Now I look at it and know that, that June Cleaver was a victim of domestic violence in the sense that to, to be held to a standard where you got to wear the tightest belt around your waist when you first get out to bed in the morning, fully dressed, cook breakfast, fully makeup, hair and everything, that's oppressive. Mm. And look how far we've come. Y'all not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> this is good to hear. This is bringing me a lot of sanity. No, I have to really. thank you. Yeah. And, but yeah. I'm also saying as serious as that, in, in doing <laughs> it, though, yeah. you put yourself in danger. Mm -hmm. Now, they may not assassinate people like they used to, but they, you know, there are ways that are found to attack and do the hate and do the social media stuff. Like, even on the social media, I even had to learn myself, I'm responding to people that may not even be real people. On social media, you know, may not even, <laughs> right? you know, right? And and I'm on this thing with with the great hack, you know. I've been interviewing the people involved in that film, so you know, I I think that part of going that's why it's a question. Part of going into the territory of truly being a revolutionary is is knowing the risk involved, and if the operative word is is struggle, that's what we call. It. We're in the struggle. Struggle is never. By its very definition, there's nothing glamorous about it. It's nothing mm -hmm. fun or always comfortable about it. You're going to take the hit. So I looked at that, and I really was just even as a journalist trying to figure out, what am I even going to ask you? See, you brought it up. I didn't ask you about that. <laughs> what, what the hell am I going to ask her about? To me, it, it goes against my journalistic integrity to ask you about some, some folk. Thank you. Evaluating you teaching. A class. I just don't see... <laughs> and I'm I'm excited too if your if your readers are interested. I wrote a piece for CNN and I started it and I said, you know, you might you might have heard of me from my gaslighting piece. You might have heard from me from this BuzzFeed stuff, but I, I'd love to draw your attention to our democratic crisis. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the intro. And I sort of and I, I broke down. I think right. some of the shift that's happening here. If I'm if you're gonna give me this attention, then believe me, I'm gonna right. fight for my right. life and I'm gonna use it to continue to fuck shit up. <laughs> uh, lastly, mm -hmm. um, intersectionality. Yeah. Now, I've always been an intersectional activist. You know, I see women and people of color and immigrants and the working poor, white working poor, who, you know, he is trying to divide from everyone mm. else. So if he can, you know, that's what that's historically what they've done, create, create racism 
so that we won't all come together uh, and realize that we're all the same and you know we're all being duped. So I, I struggle a lot around that intersectionality. How do you feel about that? Do you work with, do you seek intersectionality and coalition yeah. with people that you know may not even you know look like you? Yeah, I think it's critical. I mean, I, I can't know the experiences I don't have, and all of these voices are crucial, and I think part of the role I want to play is holding up other voices and bringing them into the conversation and, and bringing, using that as other, other pieces of what people are being empowered by as intro, being introduced to other leaders in who are able to speak on different experiences. I think that it's everyone, there's this toxic idea when we say the word privilege and that, that, that comes from intersectionality of like, where do you fall in, in the intersectional profiles and how much privilege do you have? Privilege is not a bad thing, but it wasn't earned. And since you have it, it's your responsibility to be using it to give back and to expand the movement toward equality. And I take it seriously, and I know that I'm, at the same time I am it can become embattled and treated as ridiculous and silly as a young woman. I am not subject to things that I would be if I was a woman of color. And I have privilege that is a part of my, of my whiteness. And I think that I absolutely intend to be using it to dismantle this entire mess. Do any of the presidential candidates appeal to you right now? Uh, I I am in love with Elizabeth Warren. I mean, I I just, I, I don't know if I've ever believed in anybody that much. I mean, to... to to, that the the way that she is running her campaign and appealing to voters to give her power, appealing, making making a case for 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 people to trust in her ability to create the plans that will solve this thing. What I would say is, as much as I believe in her, if we voted Jesus into office in 2020, it wouldn't solve the situation. Mm. And what we really need, and what I think she can lead, is this shift in our behavior, where we are doing democracy as a ritual all the time, where we have a sustained shift in constant active citizenship. I think sh she works to encourage people power. I mean, when, when um, I toured the country trying to block Brett Kavanaugh's nomination, and she came on the road before we even met Christine Blasey Ford, and then when there were protesters in the halls of Congress at those hearings, she came and greeted them. She is interested in dissent. She is interested in public power and not trying to block herself off from it. So I think she makes for a great focal point for this shift, but the shift has to occur well beyond any given leader um, because those leaders need to be held accountable to the public power, and the public power has to be constant, and has, it has so much growing that it yeah. needs to do. Yeah. I believe, and this is why I think you and your work are important, if white women decide mm. Trump is finished, he's finished. <laughs> I mean, I think we know what other demographic voters are going yes. to do. Yes. But we know, unfortunately, it was that, you know, small percentage of white women. Yes. And I think, honestly, you know, when, when you're a victim, and I'm sure you would agree, when you're a victim of institutionalized ism and oppression, you internalize it sometimes. So, you know, women can be hard on other women. Well, I don't like Hillary. It's just something about her. Mm. So they go vote for him. And now we're paying the price for it. But if women decide, He's done. He's done. And you can have a woman president or whomever you choose. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's, I think it's important for, for women to feel yeah. empowered. They don't have to vote for him. They can vote for, for someone else. Yes. And, and not be so heavily scrutinized 
one of their own. I mean, and it's it's absolutely bonkers that he 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 was protected in so many ways by Ivanka, and I think that that's part of the white woman vote is the well well she she has such nice posture yeah. and she <laughs> she looks she would be very polite at a dinner right. party. She would be she's polite as polite as they come. Right, and then she puts she casts this sheen over it, and I'm, and I think it's emblematic of the whole problem where 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 if if we can just if we can be polite if if we're not the ones doing the atrocities, then we're not participating in them, and so I, I hope hopefully that shift will continue to occur, and hopefully young people um, can can reach their their mothers and can reach yeah, their aunts yeah, yeah. who are fooled and and shake them with the urgency of this moment. So what about Lauren Duca? Do you have any? Political aspirations? Would you run for office someday? Would you thought about that? <laughs> no, I'm a writer. <laughs> really, yes. you wouldn't consider. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's that's I don't think that's my most efficient role. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I like to be fucking shit up. All right, I, heard <laughs> I like, but no, really, and we need people to make those decisions. All of yeah. us shouldn't be running for stuff. Some of us should be. Yes. Effing it up. Yes, and I would say if you're uh, if you're interested, there's a organization that I interviewed people from in my book called Run for Something yeah, yeah. and that they they uh, provide <coughs> resources for young people running down ballot elections if you're interested and also what's cool about that conversation is just running for office even if you lose really can make a difference um, I think you know you might not win but the, the fact that you launched a campaign and you talk to people that's waking up a constituency that's expanding an electorate and that's an act of service even if you don't get sworn into office. So I, I think we're going to see and we already have seen more and more young people running for office and making the change that way. Um, but yeah, maybe not, not for me particularly, but that's the thing, right? Not everybody can march. Maybe they have some physical thing or they've got crowd fear. Not everybody can run because you know, that what everything that comes with that, you, you have to pick the thing that resonates with you. For me, it's using my journalism as an activist practice and empowering people with information. What What is the thing that you are good at? What is the thing that you care about? Add them together and do your thing. That's you as well as fucking shit up. <laughs> yes. That's, that's, that's the moral to the story, folks. <laughs> How to start a revolution, get the book and uh, read it. An impressive young woman doing some great things. I'm sure we'll be hearing much, much more from her. We should and do this again. Yeah, this yeah, was let's, awesome. Let's keep in touch. Yes. <laughs> Lauren, Lauren Duca, folks, on Make It Plain. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, subscribe to Make It Plain and Get Woke daily. Check out makeitplain.com to subscribe. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.